Thank you, Ben. Praise you, Jesus. Everybody, please stand up. If you were here Saturday, you know what I mean. I do not consider, I appreciate the wonderful comments I've received already from Pastor Mike and, and others, but I want to establish this first and foremost right now. I do not consider myself the guest speaker here today. I am looking to the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the everlasting, everlasting, Yeshua HaMashiach, Lion of Judah, his name is Jesus of Nazareth, and he is here. God says what he means, and he means what he says. He inhabits the praises of his people. Where two more are gathered in his name, he's in the midst of us. In a personal way, Jesus is here, so just one more time, we give him reverence and praise and acknowledgement. He is the King of Kings. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence here today. Have right away, please sit down, except for you, Paulette. All right. My lovely wife, she's with me today. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to do a quick commercial, and then we'll get moving, moving right along. Some of the books were out of already. Uh, they went real well yesterday. Bible character stories, I have a couple left in Spanish, but these are uh, Bible uh, character lessons, two, two different copies. When you take the Word of God and you put it in your heart and you apply it to your life and be a doer of the Word, you're wise for it. So we're going to make these available. Some of the books were out of, but if you go to the table after this service and the next service when that happens, uh, people go to the table, we'll take your name and uh, we'll get the books to you and we'll explain it there. Pushing Against Darkness, this was a book, editorials on morality, ethics, Christianity, Islam, nature, political affairs, news media, globalist policies, national cover-ups, military, United Nations, Israel, miscellaneous commentaries. I'm going to say, if this book right here, if you're politically correct, do not get it. You won't like it. But it's going to be available there as well. God's Word, bulletproof, prophetic fulfillment, archaeological evidence, science, and common sense reasoning, prove the Bible. I want a, 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 where I, I get a sincere heart who says, prove to me the Bible is true because I really have a sincere interest. First of all, I don't have to prove the Bible is true to you in any way. I'm the messenger. God establishes his awesomeness by just looking at nature and looking around you that there is a God. You're not it, but he is the, he is the God. Now, this was personalized with a lot of places I've been in the Middle East. Travels, and I've used a lot of things to make a layman version of somebody who has a sincere interest in wanting to know the truth, is there a God? And that's available. Matter of fact, I had a pastor in Virginia. He ordered a number of copies to give them out to, to visitors because he, he was aware of this book. Stand Up for God. Biblical principles, Navy Trident. If you have a son, daughter, nephew, niece in the military, a friend trying to live for God as a young Christian, great book to put in their hands. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Supernatural testimonies, people in dire situations, didn't know which way to turn. God was the answer. He's always the answer. Awesome testimonies. Testimonies of ex-Muslims. Uh, these are testimonies of Muslims who became Christians. And they'll give you reasons why. What's more important, church, important, church truth or sincerity? Absolutely. You can be sincere and sincerely wrong and go straight to hell. Walking with God, a daily devotional, uh, spiritual truths in poetic form, basically prose or poetic format in eight stanzas. I'll give you a sermon for each day of the year. I believe the Holy Spirit inspired me. Uh, when you look at it, you won't find many books like that in a Christian bookstore. 
in the commercial. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. My background, 22 years in the Navy. I was a former Navy commander, SEAL Team 2, SEAL Team 3, SEAL Team 5. I've lived in Egypt, Jordan, Israel, Panama, South Korea, Liberia, Sudan, Somalia, Sinai, Afghanistan, two different occasions besides serving in numerous other countries. Done a lot of exciting things. Did a lot of parachuting. Done a lot of uh, dives in daytime, nighttime dives. Uh, done demolitions in water and on land. Did a lot of exciting things, but the most exciting thing was when I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I hope you can say the same thing, because you've done exciting things in your life, but that is the pinnacle, and it hasn't changed. I came to realize Jesus was not a picture on the wall or a statue on the lawn. He's the living God. Thank you, Jesus. Bow your heads with me, please. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're gathered here right now. I'm asking you to have right away speak through me. Dear God, this subject here, help me to present it and speak as you would have me to do so for people to receive as you would have them to receive. And I'm thanking you for it, Father. It's all about you, Lord. Amen. The year is 1755. General Edward Braddock, he's about 65 years old at the time. He's from Great Britain. And he's going to fight in the French and Indian War. He has a task to go to Fort Duquesne, which is current-day Pittsburgh area. As he's proceeding, he's got a colonel by the name of George Washington from the Virginia militia assigned to him. Now, Washington told him about the tactics are different than in Europe. The Indians and French will fight with different tactics behind trees, rocks, and so forth, but Braddock didn't follow that advice. He proceeded, and they attacked him en route. Braddock suffered a life casualty injury. He died. But during this battle, many British officers were being taken out, right and left, falling, killed. Washington and his horses, actually he had two horses shut out from under him, and he had four bullet holes in his coat during this battle. But Washington is going back and forth, riding back and forth, trying to rally the troops, and he established a retreat to salvage what he could salvage. But I highlight to you there was a chief Red Hawk who went on to say, I shot at this man who was Washington 11 straight times. Red Hawk was known for his marksmanship. And Red Hawk would say, I could not hit him. We had other Indian uh, individuals shooting at this man, but we could not touch him. About 15 years later, when there was a gathering, the Indians would proclaim, this man that we shot at, we could not touch. We knew the great spirit was on him. There's just no way that he would not have been hit. No way at all. Let's fast forward to 1776, 27 August. We see the Battle of Long Island has just taken place, Revolutionary War time period. General William Howe, again, a Great Britain general. He has just defeated Washington in the Battle of Long Island, and he chased Washington across from where Manhattan is right now, across to, nearby the East River, which is a tidal river, and he placed, placed a siege around Washington his forces. He's got them trapped. He's going to take care of business. And if he did, you would not be singing the Star Spangled Banner today. What happened was, during this moment when the siege was laid, Washington used his New England fishermen with their skills to load his people into boats and take them to the other side. But while he was doing that, he put campfires in the camp that give the British from somewhat of a distance to see that there's movement in the camp and things are normal. But during this time frame, as Washington's starting to cross the East River, a mysterious fog just comes in, settles down, and blocks 
view of his movements. And they were doing it very quiet. And when Washington gets to the other side, the fog lifts. And the tattered army would live to fight another day. And Washington would proclaim the providence of God. Washington knew that God had a special touch for what was to come. There's no way this army could survive and do the things that he did. Matter of fact, Cornwallis tried to take a page out of Washington's book in 1781 in Yorktown. He tried to cross the York River, but all of a sudden, a mysterious storm comes up and pushes Cornwallis back, and ultimately, Cornwallis had to surrender. Couldn't do it. Let's move forward to 3 January 1777, the Battle of Princeton. Washington trying to rally his troops to... The, the colonists, the Continental Army, they're taking hits. So he gets out with his horse and he rides forward. He rallies the truth, but he's within 30 yards of the musket line of the British. Not one round would hit him. You go on and you look at Valley Forge and you look at other things and you see how Washington would proclaim the providence of God in this forthcoming nation. He knew that God had his hand on these colonies. He knew there was a destiny. Washington's prayer book, if you read his journal, you'll see he talks about God and he talks about Jesus Christ. I fully expect, contrary to what some writers might want to write about some of these founding fathers, you're going to see Washington in heaven. No, no, no. He understood the importance of God. Paulette, please come up. Or I might say something down. And I do want to pie a vow. I just wanted to show the flag. This is an appeal to heaven flag. Washington, you don't see this from mainstream media coverage, or something about her history, but an appeal to heaven. Washington had this flag developed during the Revolutionary War, and he gave it to different units, and he said to these units, when all else fails, appeal to heaven. This evergreen was put in place right here, symbolic of covenant. Thank you. You do a good job, Anna. Thank you, Jesus. I point that out because Washington knew there was the hand of God on this nation. We go back to 1607. We go to Cape Henry, Chesapeake Bay. A cross was staked right there proclaiming this land for the gospel of Jesus Christ before they went to Jamestown. You go to 1620, further north, the Mayflower Compact. You can read in the verbiage for the advancement of the gospel. Our roots go back to Judeo-Christian heritage. People came here in pursuit of the following for the Lord Jesus Christ and then the proclamation of his gospel. No, America was not perfect when it came into being. Oh, there are still issues to deal with, and God will deal with some issues. There are no perfect nations without God. You see, utopias don't exist in that vein in the secular realm or in humanistic realm. But the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, God had his hand on it from the beginning. Remarkable document, the Constitution. If you really give a sincere, earnest verification and scrutiny. Oh, yeah. God had his hand on this land because there would be many missionaries that would go out and touch the world. 
They understood what the Great Commission meant. And God had a purpose for the destiny of this nation. We would send Bibles to the far-reaching corners of the world. God is not done with this nation, but you know who determines the future? You do. You do. Bartimaeus, what do you want? Bartimaeus, what do you want, Bartimaeus? Well, can't Jesus see that Bartimaeus is blind? Why is he asking that question? And Bartimaeus said, I will receive my sight. Church, what do you want for America? What do you want, church? When Jesus left, he delegated authority to the church. What are you doing with that authority? You see, God wants us to be kingdom-minded and not thinking about heaven in the wrong way. We want to think about heaven. We have songs, when I get to heaven, what a wonderful day that will be. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. Wonderful songs. But God wants us to occupy now. He wants to take the gospel and continue. And he still has a destiny for America. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let me move on. I'll lose track. I take rabbit trails and my time will get away from me if I'm not watchful. The Black Robe Regiment, ministers from the pulpits of the American Revolution. They basically, they got the term Black Robe Regiment because King George designated them the Black Robe Regiment because they, the clergy, would preach to the colonies the tyranny of the king, the tyranny of the situation will not be taken, our freedoms will not be taken away by this tyranny. And they would often take their robes off and go join the militias with their uniform on even sometimes. No, they were not politically correct. Ministers confront public leaders in the Bible, and you see the title of my message, Should Elections and Government Matter to Christians? Some people have that question today, some churches. I'm speaking to the church as a whole. It's easy to see from the Bible, this answer is very easy for me. And I'll back it up, I'm going to go through these quickly, please. 1 Kings 21, 1 through 24. Elijah confronted King Ahab and Queen Jezebel over their unjust use of eminent domain and religious persecution. You know what, King Ahab, Jezebel, government! Elijah, a man of God. 2 Chronicles 32, 27 through 31. 2 Kings 20, 12 through 19. Isaiah confronted King Ezekiel over his national security failures and issues related to the treasury. 2 Chronicles 19, 1 through 2, Eleazar and Jehu confronted King Jehoshaphat over his blunders in foreign relations and foreign alliances. These are ministers confronting public leaders in the Bible, from the Bible. This is our reference for living. We don't go by appearances. We don't go by emotions. We go by the word of God. What does your word say? Where's my guidance? It's from the Bible. 2 Chronicles 19, 1 through 2. Eleazar, I said that one. Jeremiah 34. Jeremiah confronted King Zedekiah over his wicked public policies. Daniel 4, 1 through 27. Daniel confronted Nebuchadnezzar over his arrogance. 1 Samuel 13, 1 through 14. Samuel confronted King Saul over not fulfilling his assigned duties. 2 Samuel 12, 7 through 14. Nathan confronted David over his immorality. They're not the man, David! You're the man! God, wait a minute. Oh, wait a minute. Nathan, why are you speaking to the king that way? He's the king. He's the government. Praise you, Jesus. 2 Chronicles 26, 16 through 21. Azariah, along with 80 other priests, confronted King Uzziah for usurping religious practices through improper expansion of government powers. Matthew 3, 7. John the Baptist confronted civil leaders for their hypocrisy. 
Luke 13, 31 through 32, Jesus called Herod out of fox, meaning sly and crafty. Jesus, he's the king. King Herod, you call him a fox? He's the king, Jesus. You're not politically correct. Quiet, Jesus. Jesus, get back in line. Why are you turning over those tables, those money changer tables, Jesus? Hey, that's not politically correct. Stay in your lane, Jesus. Let me summarize it this way. I'll get to the point. There is no, I'll say again, no biblical model where God has his ministers remain silent with civil leaders or about civil issues. His ministers called out bad leaders and he pointed out unbiblical policies and practices. Ministers partnered with civil leaders. 2 Kings 6, Elijah provided the king of Israel counsel regarding military intelligence and policy. 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 13, Nathan told David to build a house for God. Jeremiah 21, 1 through 10, Jeremiah provided military guidance to the king. Uh, 2 Chronicles 24, 1 through 2, 15 through 19, King Joash pursued good policies as long as the priest Jehoiada provided him wise counsel. When Joash lost his godly counselor, the king's policy turned wicked. Isaiah 37, Isaiah revealed secret information to King Hezekiah regarding national security and foreign policy issues. Luke 3, 10 through 14, John the Baptist advised the people, the government, and the military. Luke 19, 1 through 10, Jesus counseled a collector named Zacchaeus. Acts 27, 9 through 12, Paul warned civil leaders concerning impending disaster and natural calamity. Separation in church and state, Michael, come on. We've got separation of church and state. First of all, it don't exist in the Constitution. And you nine black robe justices, you're supposed to interpret the Constitution. That's what you're supposed to do. You see, in 1947, in the case of Everson versus Board of Education, the Supreme Court declared the First Amendment has erected a wall between church and state. That wall must be kept high and impregnable. We could not approve the slightest breach. There is no separation of church and state verbiage in the Constitution because in 1947, the Supreme Court took an obscure letter of Jefferson's written to the Baptists of Danbury, Connecticut, in which he quoted the First Amendment and said it built a wall of separation between church and state. The Constitution document, people. In essence, Jefferson and his other founders did not want a national denomination. They were leaving the Church of England. They're coming to the New World. The Supreme Court thoroughly took things out of context from this obscure letter, and I personally believe the devil was in the mix for what he wanted to do in this nation through government leadership. To get to the point... In my opinion, this inappropriate ruling set things in motion or planted seeds towards the silencing of the clergy in America. Rise of Adolf Hitler. Very interesting when we look at history because if you don't learn from history, history repeats itself. The Confessed Church of Germany did not object to most elements of Nazism, and some people within the movement were Nazi Party members. Ultimately, after the church kept going along with things, the Nazis brought destruction, outlawed their church, and sent many thousands to concentration camps or prisons where many were killed. Can I have a return of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, please? Mr. Bonhoeffer, can you become, come back from beyond the veil? He was a Lutheran pastor, became quite outspoken to what was happening in Nazi Germany with the acquiescence of the church. What would you tell Bonhoeffer, Mr. Bonhoeffer? What would you tell the Church of America today? What would you tell us? He was a Lutheran pastor and he spoke up. He lost his life in due time. But I'm going to give you two of his quotes. Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. 
Second quote, if I sit next to a madman as he drives a car into a group of innocent bystanders, I can't, as a Christian, simply wait for the catastrophe, then comfort the wounded and bury the dead. I must try to wrestle the steering wheel out of the hands of the driver. I like to say it sometimes this way. You let the devil in the back of the car, soon he's driving. That's what has happened. Cleo Skousen, he did the book The Naked Communist in 1958. 1958. And he cited numerous 45 declared goals of the Communist Party to destroy the United States from within. I could give you a list of things that were accomplished between that book when it was written in the 50s and what you see today. Numerous fulfillments. This isn't by chance. People, the global elitists have been trying to destroy America for decades, and they're even, the devil's even smiling now because they're being more overt with their actions. They're trying to destroy this country. In reference to a pandemic, planned pandemic, it was planned, it's orchestrated with a purpose. And one of the purposes was to destroy the church. Again, I'm talking to the church as a whole. We've got to wake up, people. They're trying to just open borders is all about destroying Christianity and Western culture if you haven't figured it out yet. There's an antichrist spirit trying to take the United States down. The United States goes down, the free world goes down. You are the key, United States, for the future of evangelization as we see it today in the world. God still wants to use this nation, but guess who's going to determine the future? The church, the remnant, people that will intercede and pray for America. And on this point, Point, I want you to agree with me right now. And I'm glad. I know Pastor Mike just had prayer this morning. I'm glad you guys pray. It's so important right now. But bow your heads with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we lift up America. We pray for this nation. We pray for your grace and mercy for the destiny you want for this nation to be accomplished. We decree that America is saved. We pray you expose, expose, expose the corruption and render justice, justice, justice in our nation eradicate, move, dear God, by your Holy Spirit on hearts and help us, dear God, to move forward to accomplish the destiny you want for our nation. We come against the forces of darkness and we say to you, Satan, because we have authority delegated to us from on high, we will not have America. America will rise up and accomplish the destiny God wants for this nation. May America honor the Lord Jesus Christ. May Jesus be exalted in this nation and we give you praise and thanksgiving. Amen. Praise you, Jesus. The 501c3 and political correctness doctrines. In the 60s, you see these came about. Both of these policies directly affected morality direction in America, and I believe they did this on purpose. The global elitists. You see, 501c3 handcuffed the pastors in America. Pastors became silent towards government issues, while mainstream media would step up and teach the Christians on key issues. Let us tell you what you need to hear and believe. We're mainstream media. And by the way, journalism is dead. Propaganda, Joseph Goebbels would fit right in with his group today from Nazi Germany to the propagandists. Truth is what sets people free. Truth will set you in the right direction. You build a house on lies, it's going to fall. Political correctness. Don't do that. You're getting out of line. Don't do that. No, you can't do that. That's not politically correct. They train. They've trained people. They've trained Christians to think on political correctness, and so you're silent. That's all right. Put those rainbow lights on the White House, and let's pass the same-sex marriage bill. You be quiet. 
You can't say anything. Many of these things and these agendas are being used by the global leaders to try to take the sovereignty of the United States down. They're using these things to try to destroy this nation. Praise you, Jesus. That's why we've got to pray. And one of my issues right now in this message is pray because there's no Ali Frazier bow to. There's no Rocky one. I mean, Rocky two after Rocky one. You don't get a rematch. You win this battle or you lose. Venezuela, Hugo Chavez in 1998 came to power. And they were all rich country. I've traveled throughout Venezuela. It was a nice country. But after Chavez came and they set the handcuffs of socialism in place, they became a shambles. And that's what they want to do to America. And I know Portland was in the news last year. Let me be quite honest with you. Black Lives Matter, Antifa are Marxist organizations. These people don't understand. There's a message from Lenin. He says, useful idiots. I'm not trying to be off base here, folks. But these people, if they set their things in motion and set the handcuffs of control in place, these people will find out their peons in the scale of what's being done. You've been deluded and deceived. Praise you, Jesus. Proverbs 29, 2 says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, and when the wicked bear through, the people mourn. Jill, could you come out, please? I know she's back there somewhere. Globalism in the current situation. Some people just aren't aware of this because they keep it quiet. So bear with me. I'm going to read a little bit about globalism for you and our current situation, what's going on, if you don't get it. Many people don't truly understand some key issues regarding globalism. Globalism promotes regional and global government. It promises one world economic system of trade and sets itself against national sovereignty, closed borders, and trade tariffs. In essence, global corporations and their elite control government policy directives. Synonymous with the term globalism are the terms one world order, global governance, uh, global village, and globalization. All these terms are used at different times to communicate to different audiences. You see, many of the laws currently being passed today in the United States are totally absurd, lack common sense, and fall in the category of lunacy. They're being forced on the masses against the will of the people, and they want to take the sovereignty down. I remember, I grew up thinking God had a big bat, and I'm shifting colors right now, or shifting direction. I remember, though, when I started to read the Bible, the story of the prodigal son, and that son went and lived a righteous lifestyle, and he spent all his wealth in his inheritance, and then he comes to his senses, I'll humble myself and go back and maybe my father will hire me as a hired servant. Well, he came back. But his father ran and embraced him. My son who was lost has now come home. He proclaimed, kill the fatted calf, made celebration. This was reconciliation and not condemnation. Jesus, when he was writing in the sand, they brought this lady caught in adultery. And he rises up and he says, let him who has not sinned, just the first stone, one by one they leave. He says, where are your accusers? And she says, there are none, Master. I accuse you not, go and sin no more. They wanted Jesus to accuse her, but he didn't. He knew he'd be going to the cross. And he'd be taking the hand of the Father and the hand of mankind and say, Father, I've made the connection. I've reconciled man to you. I've paid the price. No condemnation, reconciliation. That's the Father's heart. My attitude changed. I saw it in a different way. I remember the testimony of Jerry Lashur, a pastor in Illinois. He was 36 years old at the time. And Jerry said, Jerry said, he said he was watching his mother 
in a room. She's up in her years. Jerry's about 66, 67 now. And Jerry said he saw his mother up in her years. Her body showed it. She was older at that time. All of a sudden, Jerry is to see in the spiritual realm. He sees his mother's spirit lift out of her body. His mother turns and looks at Jerry with a brilliant smile, radiant appearance. Radiant appearance. Smile. Jerry said he saw Jesus lift her by the hand. Jesus said Jesus turned his head at Jerry, smiled. He took his mother in eternity. Jerry says it's as clear today as it was then because spiritual things do not grow old. They don't. I'm appealing to you right now. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, please. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, now is the day of salvation. I was in Virginia recently doing a revival, and we saw, after coming home from one or uh, coming back from the church from one service, a man in the street, face, face up, motorcycle accident. He was in eternity. That morning, he didn't know he would be in eternity, but later in the afternoon, he was. I'm going to ask you, if you don't know, if you have not received, because Romans 10, 9 and 10, Romans 10, 9 and 10, says, if you confess Jesus with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. With a heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, the mouth confession is made, resulting in salvation. If you don't know, if you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's easy to do. I prayed with Abdul in southern Sudan. His father was a Muslim. When we prayed, Abdul said, something happened. I said, God just imparted eternal life to your spirit, Abdul. He felt like something lifted from him. There is nothing more important than your relationship with Jesus. I'm going to ask you, just raise your hand. I'll pray with you. I'm not going to have you come down. Just raise your hand, and I'll pray with you right now. Church don't save anybody, folks. Church don't save nothing. It's a relationship with Jesus. If you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, just raise your hand, please. I want to pray with you right now, and you'll leave changed. You'll leave glad you did. Like Abdul, something lifted, something lifted. It, don't let pride hold you back. The Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart. Just raise your hand. I'll pray with you right now. I'll pray with you right now. I'll pray with you right now. Let me ask this then. If you die tonight and you know you'd go to heaven, can you raise your hand? If you know you go to heaven based on your relationship with God and living with God, can you raise your hand? Praise you, Jesus. A number of the people I see, if you didn't raise your hand, I'm going to speak to you right now. If you're not sure... If you're not sure, I'll ask you one more time. In your case, raise your hand. I'll pray with you, and you can be sure. We're not going to take but a moment. All right, praise God. Praise God. Okay, okay. All right. I put them down. Sir, in the back. Everybody look up, please. Sir, in the back. Oh, okay, Josh. I didn't, I, I'm sorry. I didn't see. I just oh, you're giving praise to God. Okay, all right, praise God. If you're not sure, get right with God. I can only encourage you to do that. 
I can't tell you. I could give you testimony after testimony. There is a heaven again and a hell to shine, and Jesus loves you so much. He loves each and every one in here so much. Oh, it's an awesome, awesome heart of love he has for us. And I want to encourage you, if you're not sure, but you're pondering certain things for some that didn't raise your hand, I'm asking you right now, get right with the Lord because he loves you. This slide, Craig put up for us right now, I want you to read it. No matter what you accomplish in this world, PhD in the wall, $5 million in the bank, no U-Haul trailer behind your hearst, not going to happen, not going to happen. Nope. It's going to be, what did you do for me and my kingdom? What did you do in your relationship with me? And I can't tell you enough. That Supernatural Testimonies books, I've got some remarkable testimonies in there that people will attest to what happened in their lives. I can't stress to you enough a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. As we close right now, as you leave right now, you just consider these words and what you see on the screen. I don't care if you live to be 100 years old. That's nothing compared to eternity. Some people are going to be like in the Niagara River coming down to Niagara They're going to be, I don't need God. I don't need God. I'm going to do my thing. But when they come to that edge, you're going to see their faces change. Because in that water, when they go over that precipice, it's going to be doom and gloom. Eternity without the Lord is not the way to go. God's prepared a banquet. Nothing more noble in this life than to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing. So I encourage you. Ponder these words. Ponder this word. I will sit down and I'll pray for everyone right now. Father, in the name of Jesus. Everyone in here right now, I pray you'll help them to know even more so the hope of their calling, the inheritance to heaven, you, and the power to work by the Holy Spirit through them. Continue to reveal to them the width, the depth, the height of your love. I pray for each one in here, dear God, that they get a revelation of who you are in their hearts. What an awesome God you are and what a deep love you have for each one in here. Speak to the hearts. Anyone in here not saved, when they leave dear God, work on their hearts of the reality of you in their lives. And when they put their head on the pillow tonight, don't give them rest. Let them know that you're knocking at their heart and they need to receive you. And your love you have for them, they'll be glad they did. I bind the forces of darkness against these people. Any people in here, you bind it to the gospel truth. You take your hands off from Satan, unbind them, and Lord, bring someone else as well across their paths to plant seeds and draw them into the kingdom for your glory. We give you thanksgiving. We give you praise. Pastor Mike, please. Amen.